Well, Scott, welcome to The Journey. And uh, this is Scott Blumke, and he is going to be our guest this morning. And let me just share a little bit about um, what The Journey is about. The The Journey is really trying to capture uh, conversations um, with just ordinary people who've had either setbacks in their life, uh, had some type of adversarial, uh, you know, different, different problems in their life. It could be anything from addiction to uh, mental health to maybe even something that may have happened um, with, within their career. And the key part of it is not only the struggle piece, which obviously is part of the story, but then what did they learn from that and where are they at now and how are they giving back? So, uh, Scott, um, welcome to the journey. And uh, Thank you. So um, before we get uh, too far into your story, why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, who you are and what when you have an opportunity to have some fun, when you have an opportunity to uh, go out and um, relax and have fun, what do you what do? You do? Uh, with my daughter. Okay. Uh, I coach her softball team, and I help coach her basketball team. Okay. So being in the new life that I'm in, not going to bars and not doing that sort of thing, I've had to find something else as an outlet sure. and yeah. find something else. And it's spending time with her and giving back as much as I can, helping out what we talked about before, helping out Miss Carly yep. at the yep. shelter okay. and work. I finally have a career, not just a job. Okay, sure. So. I've been doing my best to try to get that to where it needs to be. So okay. and everything's going well. Nice. So you have just one child? Yes. Okay. 10-year-old little girl. Okay. Amazing little girl. Yeah. Um, well, sorry. Young lady now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's been absolutely the relationship that her and I have now has the last year and a half, two years. It's I stopped being a father and I became a dad. Okay. Which if anybody has been through addiction or has been through anything like I've been through being there is not being present mm-hmm. and being a dad is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. What's your daughter's name? Uh, Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Yes. Okay. So Mackenzie's 10 and she's in what grade? She is in, she just started fifth grade. Okay. So she goes to Byron. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. She's like I said, she loves school and she's athletic. So okay. we have a blast together Okay, and we, I spoiled a rotten trying to make up for everything in the past, mm-hmm. and now I'm trying to get that fine line of now I still have to be dad and mm-hmm. yet be her best friend. And sure, we're working on that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to take it back once yeah. you give it to them. Yeah. So we're slowly weeding that in. Well, and I think also I know I have a 23 year old. My son Caleb's 23, and my daughter uh, Sierra will be 21 here in a couple of weeks. And um, I know for me, it, it's it's very much um, it, it's it's a journey. It's a process of yeah. of it changes over over different different aspects of it. And and I think that element of being able to pour into them, but now that and you'll get into your story here in a little bit, but now that you can be there emotionally present, then you don't have to feel guilty and then just do things out of guilt, right? Right, and some of it, and most of it, not some of it, most of it was guilt. Yeah. And I got really lucky. Um, my ex-wife is my best friend in the world, been support me through the whole thing. I'm not naive to think that it's she did it all for me. Mm-hmm. She did it to make sure her daughter had a father in her life. Yeah. She's getting remarried. And great guy, mm-hmm. and I couldn't ask for anything as a provider and as a role model f- for her. It's just not me. Yeah. And I had to make sure I stepped up, and you know that's one of the main reasons I got clean yeah. was because I wanted to be a part of her life. My father left when I was seven. 
I didn't want her to go through that. Sure. And okay. it was miserable for me. One of the reasons I went through the path that I went through, I didn't want her to go through the same path. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, what, yeah, let's go ahead. Obviously, you were involved with athletics when you were growing up. Yeah. And, and when did that all, when did the sports become part of your life? As early as I can remember. It's okay. always been a part of our family's life. Okay. Uh, my brother was an outstanding athlete, uh, basketball, baseball. Um, I was more football. I was trying to differentiate myself since I've been little, trying okay. to do something different. Okay. So, plus I was horrible at basketball. <laughs> so, uh, football and wrestling were okay. mine too. Uh, right. I played baseball as a kid. Okay. So, our father was big into sports as well. Okay. He was the yeller, the screamer. Okay. You know, brother took to it well. I didn't. Okay. And your brother's older than you. Yes, he's six years older. Six years older. And where'd you guys go to high school? High school, we both went to East, and oh. my nephew went to East as well. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. So then what what year did you graduate? I graduated in 93, uh, Larry in 88, and Scott be two years ago, so 16, 17. Okay, okay. So then you then you were coach, uh, your wrestling coach and football coach was Jardini. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. uh, the, the whole Jardini family was a part of my life for four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I know them uh, quite well. And then Mike West. Uh, yes. Co- coach West is a good friend of mine as well. Yeah. So they do just a phenomenal job at East. Jardini was, uh, Perry was a, a hell of a wrestling coach. Yeah. And then the brothers were too. I mean, I had him freshman year, and then when I was wrestling varsity, so football had him. Yeah. So I never got away from him. Yeah, yeah, good, good guys, great family. I, yes. And the irony is, that I knew Terry, um, his brother, and I worked at a psychiatric hospital together. Um, I was one of the unit counselors, and he was a teacher at Oakwood Hospital. Oh, okay. Way, even before I met, and this was about like in 1990, 91 ish, that right. time period, even before I even knew uh, Perry and, and everybody. So. Well, that, and that the weird thing is too is when you, they're coaching you, and then you get older. You see him in a band, yeah. You know, Terry. You're sitting. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. It's very, very surreal. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so sports were a big part of your life. Played sports all through all through high school, at least football and wrestling. Yes, through high school. And and your brother was the was a standout athlete, but he was a few years older than you. Yeah. And so, um, how old were you when mom and dad split? Uh, dad's dad left when I was seven, and okay. Um, he was just a, a very bad man, okay. and watching what watching what I went, watching him do what he did to my mom and the kids, it was for me being that young, mm-hmm. very hard to watch, and especially what he did to my mom. It still affects my mom today, and she's in her seventies. Okay, and okay. a lot of the stuff that I grew up with, I think. I don't know. It was real hard for me to. I always. I was trying to be so far left of what he was, mm-hmm. and trying to break away from just everything that he was about. Okay. And he left when I was seven. I never seen him again for I think fifteen years. Oh wow. Okay. So and he left us basically broke. Not basically. He left us broke and homeless. Mm-hmm. And my mom was trying to raise three kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. And. We weren't the easiest three kids to raise either. So, okay. so, so you, so the impression that Dad left because of choices he was making and how he interacted that 
that was all pre seven. Yeah. And if you if you were gonna like capture that a little bit about what that was like, you know, again, these are early memories, right? right. And um, but it's crazy when we had these early memories of how strong they can be from an emotional level. Um, what what would what would be something that if you think back to that 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 may have carried forward um, uh, in either in high school or even afterwards? Guilt. Mm-hmm. I was. I felt guilty that we couldn't stop him from doing what he did to my mom. Okay. Was it domestic violence? Yeah. Battery? Okay. Yeah. And it was in front of our faces. He wasn't, and he did it to the kids as well. I mean, he was just, it was hard for me to watch. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of it has stayed with me for a long time. Okay. Not being able to stop him. And we tried. I mm-hmm. mean, we all tried to mm-hmm. stop him from doing it to her and doing it to us. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a miserable thing to watch, mm-hmm. and especially when she didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. No woman deserves it. Sure, sure. You know the thought, the the word that came to my mind, especially that young, right? And and obviously your dad, regardless of how big of a person he was, he obviously is is bigger than you guys, right? right. Um, but just the the idea of just feeling powerless mm-hmm. and and just not being able to do things. So that, like you said, that's a it's yeah, it's a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you did, it it just it's like being an addict no matter what you're trying to do nothing's working Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can tell yourself anything you can try to do whatever's what everybody's telling you to do and when it doesn't work the guilt and the shame of yourself it it carries with you for a long time yeah yeah so yeah tell us a little bit so in high school you were playing sports right and and obviously doing the school thing um Graduate from high school. What 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 go, what happens after that? Uh, they actually, I started getting in trouble um, my senior year, so they actually sent me to Florida. My family sent me to Florida mm-hmm. to stay with my father. Okay, which I was not even remotely fond of. However, that's what they decided to do, and I wasn't eighteen yet, so I had to move in with him, and I was there for six months, and it was miserable. It was absolutely the most miserable six months of my life. He never changed. He was mm-hmm. the same guy. Mm-hmm. Same guy to the wife he had then. Same way to the kids. It was... Okay. And I packed my stuff, and he went to work, and I packed my stuff up and got in a car and drove straight to my grandma's, 18 okay. hours straight. Okay. So so when, if you can remember back, your senior year, when your when when in your senior year did you go to Florida? Uh, right before football season. Oh, oh, okay. So it was the beginning of your senior yeah. year. So you didn't play for Jardini. No, I, senior my year. senior year. Well, my senior year, I played in St. Cloud. Okay. So that's where I went to high school at. Okay. So and that was a new school, and it was just miserable. And yeah. like I said, that's six, seven months. Nothing had changed. Mm-hmm. He was still the same guy, mm-hmm. and I was fighting. I was just then realizing that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. And it was getting worse and getting worse, and then down there it didn't help. Yeah. I, it was worse down there than it was here. So when you said that you you were getting in trouble up here and you had a problem, like what what was going on? The drinking. Okay. And it wasn't into much else besides that. It was just a lot of drinking. Okay. And and when did alcohol first come into your life? How old were you? It'd be seventh grade, going into seventh grade. Going into seventh grade, first time you drank. Yeah. And then when was the first time? Was, was that the first time you got drunk too? No, the first time I got drunk was the end of seventh grade year. Okay. And that's yeah. when I started, and it never stopped. 
So, okay, so before you were experimenting and then all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, but by the time of the end of seventh grade, then it's like you had discovered something. Yeah. A lot of time people who um, talk about the journey of addiction, they talk about their experience with that substance, experience with alcohol or, or whatever it may be. What what was that for you? What did What purpose did alcohol serve? I didn't feel anything. I felt nothing. Uh, and for that time that I was drunk, I was happy, and I didn't feel anything. And the more time went on, the more pressure that was put on me through sports or through grades or through whatever, I went to that more and more and more. Okay. And it followed me till 20 months ago. Okay. And it got progressively worse because the guilt got worse, the shame got worse. Mm-hmm. The embarrassment of me being an embarrassment to my now my family, but to the people's lives that I had affected. Mm-hmm. And the, the lives that I had come across that, I mean, I was a thief and a cheat, and I was I was a bad person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me, mm-hmm. and it was something had a hold of me that I didn't that I couldn't control anymore, and that bothered me more than anything. Mm-hmm. And when I was alone, I couldn't I couldn't deal with the problems. I didn't know how to. Mm-hmm. And growing up, my brother did the best that he could trying to be a, a role model for me and a father figure, but he was young too. Oh, yeah. And he was dealing with his own stuff. Right. So for me, I just grew up about 20 months ago. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, it's been a long road yeah. for me to get to where I'm at. I never had anything to, I don't know, to, to show me the right path, to mm-hmm. show me you know, how to deal with emotions or how to have any kind of coping skills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never knew anything. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and the reason why I asked that question about what, what purpose did alcohol serve, you know, you go back watching what was happening in your household when when mom was getting beat up and feeling that sense of powerless and all the and, and internalizing that guilt and all the other things that were going on. And even though dad's gone now, now you get different types of hardships, right? You right. get different types of things going on. And then when you discovered what, that alcohol could serve this purpose of, you said not feel, but not feel bad, right. not feel guilt, not feel... The, yeah, right. everything. And, and so, the, the powerlessness is right. I had no idea. When I drank, nothing mattered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everything went away. Right. And and there's such a, 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 a perpetual cycle, right? So I drink to not feel anything or feel bad about anything, but while I'm not, while I'm drinking, bad things happen, and all this—it's just cycle, right? And yeah. And the next day is horrible. Yeah. The next day is worse, so you drink more. So after, so you you leave Florida, you come up and stay at Grandma's house, yeah. and this is your mom's mom. Yes. Okay. And and I'm assuming that's here in Illinois. Yes. Right. She, uh, yeah, when everything was happening when I was younger, grandma always took me. I spent summers at grandma's. Okay. She was my best friend in the world. Yeah. And she, uh, I called to come home, and my family didn't want me. They weren't going to allow me to come home. And grandma said, doors open. Okay. Okay. So, and she lived in Marford? Or? Yeah, she lived in New Melford. New Mar- okay. Yep. Little okay. farmhouse out there that was awesome grew up had yeah fishing and hunting you name it sure riding motorcycles and sure yeah that's where i got my first love of racing 
was my grandfather used to uh, check on my mom's race car. My mom raced in 79 through 82. And she, when I, the first time I got in the Roadrunner, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to race until 2004 later in life. Mm-hmm. So, but I was hooked when I got it. So, so your mom raced yeah. at, at Rockford Speedway. Yeah, she actually created Win Women on Wheels. Really? It was Women on Wheels then. It was really? Her and one other lady. She was lapping her by second lap, so she started racing with the men, and she had 35 feature wins, and she went to late model, Wayne Lensing, um, okay. actually built her first car for her. Okay, interesting, yeah. interesting. So how'd your, how'd your mom get into racing? I know we're totally off on a tangent. Yeah, I know. Whatever, but... Well, when it comes yeah. to racing, yeah. I can go off on a tangent. <laughs> um, mom got into racing. Uh, Dad was a real big race fan. Your, your father. My was. father. Yeah, okay. And um, he... He he lived a different image and a different life than what we knew, but he liked racing and put her in a car. And mm. my mom could drive. Okay, I thought I could drive, and I, I had we had progressively. I started out I was horrible, progressively gotten better, and we ended up winning championships at the end. And even when I was winning my even at my best day, at my mom's peak, I couldn't touch her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so you're. Your actually your father right got got your mom into racing yeah so he so she didn't race when she was a kid she nope. it's after they met yeah interesting okay yeah. you know it's it's one of the things that we talk about and we'll we'll get into here in a little bit too but this idea that you know even in sometimes the worst scenarios good things can come out of those things yeah. and 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 that doesn't mean that I said we want to go back into that awful place you know and, but it's as a result of that ugly place. Um, sometimes uh, there's things that lessons that can be learned and things that come out of that. And so, you know, as as not a as much of your dad was a bad person and did bad things, um, he, he for whatever reason saw something in your mom and right. gave her uh, a space and encouragement. And and sounds like a, and I can't imagine how expensive a hobby that is. Um, <laughs> it's pricey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's uh it's very pricey. And, so. and and he fought his own. He felt his own addictions too. So. Sure, sure. And now realizing that, then he was a bad man. He's still doing the same thing he's doing then. So yeah. not judging him whatsoever. Yeah, he's got his own thing to deal with, as I have mine. Yeah. So come back and you live with grandma right yeah. now now you're 18 years old and your high school's done but mm-hmm. you haven't did you graduate or no no i did not okay and this will be the first time my daughter's hearing this oh okay. so okay this will okay. be the first time that my daughter's going to have questions for me when i get home <laughs> okay so no i did not graduate um never had the opportunity to okay and i did go back and get my ged though oh, okay so okay. Uh, i did do that okay that was just for me yeah um and not being able to tell little white lies or not being able to lie and trusting in the truth. Mm-hmm. I was hoping it wasn't going to come up today, mm-hmm. but no, I did not graduate. Okay. Well, you know, the, the fact that you went back to school or to get your GED, which then allows you to do the same as a high school diploma does, right. um, that takes courage. And that takes determination. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the way the program's set up is sometimes even harder than trying to get through the second half of your senior year. Yeah. <laughs> so, get through the, yeah. Getting through the senior year would have been, especially at the point I was at in my life. Yeah. I'd have never made it anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but the, you know, I, I, and I understand that, you know, um, there may be some embarrassment, but there's, there's no shame in, in not graduating. 
because you had the courage and the tenacity to go back and get your GED. So, right. You know. And the, the funny part is I'm, now I'm going back to school. I got my lead abatement license, and I'm going for asbestos, and now I can't get enough of school. Okay. So it's, again, I'm not having a job. I'm having a career. Mm-hmm. Now I can't get enough of it. Yeah. So it's it's. It's a it's amazing when we become that. Uh, they talk about being a lifelong learner, and and it's when it clicks that and and some of the distractions that right. are not there anymore. So there's a uh, a little bit more energy than before. Right, <laughs> a little bit more opportunity for focus. A lot more time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the memory calls a little bit better now too. Right. <laughs> a lot better. Yeah. So so uh, so because of not because how old were you when you went back and got your GED? How old was that? I was 22. Okay. So it was still in young adult years, right? Yeah. And uh, you had different jobs and and then you got you got married to you got married to Mackenzie's mom. Yes. Okay. And when when did you meet her? I met her at uh, a bar. Okay. Um, she was a farm girl, lived okay. in Stillman and just walked over to her and we hit it off and we were married and then I think uh, she's gonna kill me. We were together for twenty years, oh, wow. so okay. it was a it was a long road. And okay. I helped take care of my grandma because she got my grandfather passed away. I was in Florida actually. My grandfather passed away, which hit me really hard. And I never they never let me come back for his funeral, so I wanted to come back. Oh, and this and, was when you were staying with your dad. Yeah. Okay. So and that really hurt not to be able to come back and see my grandfather as big of a part of a part of my life that he was for my family not to bring me back for it it pissed me off mm-hmm. and I don't think I've still gotten over it and then when he passed away and I came back me and grandma she basically helped me when I was younger so I I wanted to be there for her mm-hmm. um, in her later years she, she got sick and she had leukemia and mm-hmm. Dawn was gracious enough to understand that and put her life on hold so I could take care of grandma. And my drinking got worse. Mm-hmm. And I think she was waiting for that to calm down as well. Mm-hmm. So, and then when grandma passed away, um, about a month before, a couple of months before, she had asked for her, for me to get married. She wanted to watch me walk down the aisle mm. and watch, see me get, not walk down the aisle, see me get married. Yeah. And, I asked Don to marry me, and she said yes. We were married three months later. Okay, and and Grandma was there. Grandma was there. Okay, Grandma Grandma actually passed away on lap eighteen of my feature at Freeport when I won the championship in two thousand seven. Hmm. I took the lead on lap seventeen, and she passed away. Hmm. Yeah, sounds like a pretty special lady. She was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she was very important to me. You, you know, we, we we talk about this a lot about that the importance of having somebody believe in you, yeah, and that they have an unconditional regard, and that they believe in you when you don't think he can believe in you. I could do no wrong in Grandma's eyes. Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be lying straight in front of her. Sorry, it could be right in <laughs> front of her, and I, it wasn't my fault. Yeah, and it wasn't until she got sick that she started being a little bit more honest with me, mm-hmm. which was different. But there was nobody better. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, no matter what, she had me. So, yeah. yeah. Um, 
it is amazing that how powerful uh, something like alcohol, right, can be. That in in spite of different people like grandma, right, right. Uh, grandpa, different things like that. That it, it, I shouldn't say it, the alcohol. It's what the alcohol perceivably does that we don't want to let go of it yeah. because a fear of. Like in your case, what what do you think? Well, let's before we jump into that, when we, grandma dies, right, and and now uh, what what's and you and Don are together. Yeah, is Mackenzie born at this time? No. Okay. We weren't. We were trying to have. We were married, and I went from grandma's to um, the house that she had bought for us to live in, mm-hmm. and I had moved in there after grandma's passing, and we were trying to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to with the chemo that I had had um, for the tumors I had in my back. Mm. So it was a slim chance we were going to. And, of course, alcohol and New Year's and all that good stuff. And she came home one day and she said, I'm pregnant. Okay. And I couldn't have been happier, scared to death. Sure. Couldn't have been happier. And uh, we have Mackenzie and I... Yeah, it was a blessing. So, did I catch that you just slipped in there that you had <laughs> you had cancer or tumors? Tumors. What, uh, what's what was that about? Uh, I have tumors in my spine. Um, we caught them early. I think we caught them when I was twenty four, twenty five, right around there. They're growing on my spine, and to relieve the pressure on my spine because I was having back problems, we didn't know what was going on. And then they found that I had tumors on my spine. Well, they grow gradually on your spine. Mm. And once they get to your neck, they'll actually grow and they'll actually snap my spinal cord. Okay. So they grow at like a centimeter a year. Okay. I've never had to touch them again. And I go about every five years to get to see what level they're at. Okay. And I haven't thought about it. Every five years I go in, I'm a little nervous to see where they're at. Because once they get to a certain point, then, you know. It is what it is. So, but last time I went, they were where they're supposed to be. Okay. And I can still live a healthy, normal life. So. Sure, sure. So so the chemo that you were taking in your early, mid-20s or whatever, that was to help... Uh, slow the tumors slow, down. Slow them down. Okay. Yeah. And you haven't had to have that treatment since then? No. Okay, gotcha. Um, and so uh, going... Because... Um, I think just a handful of different things in just life, right? That right. we get these scares and get these different things that are going on. But again, you know, when when we're anesthetizing things through alcohol, it's it's almost like a blur, right? You don't think about it. Yeah. yeah. And then when you get then when you realize that you have it, then it hits and then you forget about it again. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just I put it in the back of my mind and yeah. it doesn't affect me at all and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't it's just knowing it's there. Right. So another thing I'll have to explain to my daughter later. Sure. <laughs> and just have to monitor it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then you and Don had a life with Mackenzie for there for, for, for how many years were you guys together after Mackenzie was born? Uh, it, together as a couple. Together as a couple, we were together. We just, we got divorced five years ago. Oh, okay. So okay. Uh, Mackenzie was five or six. Okay. Right around in there. Um, again, I don't remember the divorce. I was it was right at the beginning of the start of me going down the wrong path mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't anybody's fault but my own and I tried to 
I tried to make it work as best as I could. It wasn't that I wanted to to stay with the marriage with Dawn because mm-hmm. I had met somebody else. It was I wanted to wake up and go to bed with my daughter every morning. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, wake up in the morning, say good morning, and mm-hmm. get her breakfast, and then tuck her in every night. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I had the most problem with. Mm-hmm. Dawn and I are way better friends, mm-hmm. and we're closer now than we ever were married. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said earlier to you, I by na- I'd be naive to think that it was all for me. Mm-hmm. She was doing it to make sure her daughter had the father that she should have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she, she believes in me, and it is somewhat for me. At the end of the day, she's a mom, mm-hmm. and what's best for her daughter is best for her daughter. Sure, yeah. So obviously you're, you know, one, you know, as you were saying, it was a, a miracle, right? Right. Uh, that, that, uh, that Don could get pregnant, right? right? And then you have Mackenzie. Sounds like she's healthy. Sounds like everything's great. Yes. And, and you know, you'd already made a promise that you didn't want to be the type of dad that your dad was. Um, but this thing, right, alcohol. Right. And, and what alcohol supposedly was doing right Right. because it it does it but then it also lies to us right it it causes these other things that go on so as much as it serves its purpose to not feel bad feelings right Right. it 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 perpetuates the problems right it may yeah it makes them 10 times worse and now i'm doing coke so now i'm an addict as well okay and that part of my life is when the problem started happening. Okay. How, how, did get, how did cocaine get into the picture? Uh, Why co- did it get? A couple of friends had it one night, and I never tried it. And they said that you could drink longer on it. Uh, well, if you can drink longer on something, I'm all for it. Uh, okay. So, and then it turned into I stopped. A lot of times I wasn't drinking. I was doing coke. Okay. And that's that was the hardest thing to give up was the coke. It wasn't the booze. Mm. When I was drinking, there was problems. When I mixed the two together, it's, that's when it started to go. Everything started to go downhill. So, so what? Just like alcohol, what? What? What did cocaine? What was the purpose? What did it do? At first, it was just something to party with, something yeah. to drink longer, stay right. out longer. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't have been doing it anyway. Right. I should have been more of a father and been at home. And then it turned into for that five minutes because it doesn't last very long for that five minutes my my brain stopped working i wasn't thinking about everything i wasn't worried about everything i could just you know i wasn't myself but i wasn't worried about everything that i'd done wrong Mm -hmm. i wasn't worried about all the mistakes that i've made all the people's lives that i affected Mm. and then the more coke i did the less i thought about it okay and then when i wasn't on it I thought about it and it hit me and then I drank and it was always back and forth and, and the people's lives, especially Dawn got out and she should have gotten out earlier. Dawn got out at the right time. You know, Mackenzie was five and she needed to get her out of that situation. Mm -hmm. The woman I had met and spent five years with, Unfortunately for her, she was right in the midst of my downfall. Mm-hmm. However, what she doesn't realize is she kept me alive for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the the best part about our relationship 
was being best friends mm -hmm. and me being able to talk to her mm -hmm. and me at my worst she still seen good in me mm -hmm. you know and that was that was the part that i had needed and the part that she didn't understand at the time and probably still doesn't is she kept me alive for a long time mm -hmm. and my addiction and my use of alcohol whenever possible she wasn't on that same road she wasn't on that same path mm -hmm. so for her it had to be miserable mm -hmm. and she's seen the just the demise of me and just the person that I turn into the few moments I was sober, she's seen that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what she held on to for a long time mm -hmm. is she knew who I really was mm -hmm. and she believed in me and you know, she didn't, she would do anything in the world for me. It just got to the point where people hit rock bottom for a day, two days, and then they get help. I was in it for a year. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Yeah, and 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 we'll get into that bottom bottom, right? So, so I think you know we go into this dark place, right? Right. And that, that and for this given amount of time, where where it's just everything we touch turns, you know, rust, right? right. <laughs> everything just goes, you know, just goes bad, right? And 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 it, and it perpetuates. We just keep we keep just digging farther into the you know holes farther and farther, right? You know, I think it's. You know, when I ask that question as much as I possibly can when I'm talking to someone about either being addicted to a substance or uh, an activity, the the hook usually is that thing of how does it serve them. And in, in both the alcohol and the cocaine, and I imagine other drugs serve, serve the same purpose, maybe just a little bit differently, for you to not feel bad, not feel guilty. Um, not not feel ashamed. It, it took that for a moment. You know, took that away for whatever the amount of time was. Right. Um, and that becomes the seduction of it, right? It, and and because it because of that feeling early on that you had as a young person, watching what was going on in the household. Any time that you were going to feel that way, you're going to do anything you could to get rid of it. Right. And uh, was there attempts to get sober? I told myself I was. <laughs> okay. I never really did anything sure. to do it. Yeah. It wasn't until I realized I was turning into my father okay. that I needed help. Okay. And everybody tell everybody was telling me I needed help. Yeah. Everybody was wanting me to get help. Um, living living with the the shame and the guilt and then living with the person that you're trying to change for, mm -hmm. you know, in the last five years and we had lived together for two seeing her every day made it worse mm -hmm. nothing to do with her it was to do with me mm -hmm. and it's not until you not until you get sober not until you realize what's going on that you're running from them you're running from everybody you're, that you've hurt yeah you don't want to hurt anybody anymore yeah. yeah and however you don't want to lose them either right so you're in a bad spot yeah and you're trying to do everything that you can to hold on and to go away Mm -hmm. And then when you tell a lie or when you do something that's miserable, as I was doing, you don't know what to do. And the first thing you do is you go get, you go get high, yeah. and then it goes away. Yeah, temporarily. Temporarily. Yeah, and it, and then it's worse the next day. Yeah, because the shame that you did what you said you weren't going to do. Right. You know, it's, it's that you know, they talk about that. You know, in in 
in um, I can't remember where I think it's in Ephesians or it's in the New Testament where where Saint Paul talks about this idea is I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do right right and it's this you know, in, in in the program they talk about insanity you know doing, doing the, the same, same thing. thing yeah right so okay so twenty months ago you got sober and and what was what were the events that led to the, why this time and, and how did that all come about what what was Leading up to it, um, the year I told you that I had it hit rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ex-girlfriend, we were living together. I destroyed her life. She, I took her down with me. And she moved away to her, live with her best friend. And that absolutely, if I didn't think I was at rock bottom, I was then. Mm-hmm. And we had still had some sort of relationship at that point and a week after she left is when the year started of just the downward spiral of my rock bottom Um, suicide attempts and i was trying to kill myself every day by drinking and and getting high and just not caring Mm -hmm. i wasn't eating i wasn't i mean i was sleeping in a the home that i lived in with dawn i was sleeping in it was foreclosed on no heat no electric no, nothing, and that's where I was sleeping at. Mm. So it was, I couldn't face what I did to her. I couldn't face what I did to my family, the embarrassment. I've been arrested, I don't know how many times now, going through this whole thing. And what were you arrested for, typically? DUIs, warrants. Okay. I mean, just... Alcohol-related, yeah, drug-related stuff. Okay. Drug-related stuff, and just not caring. Yeah. Just yeah. And a lot of times I was being arrested on a DUI going to get more Coke or going to get more booze. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And late at night, I just couldn't face anything anymore. Mm -hmm. The pain I caused my family, the embarrassment. And another reason why I told you before, why I'm doing the show now is I don't want anybody to go through that. Mm -hmm. I did everything wrong leading up to rehab. Mm -hmm. And when I got out of rehab during recovery, I made a million mistakes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and leading up to the point where I finally said I'm done and I had hurt everybody that I could hurt. I was a, like I said before, I was a cheat. I was a thief. I was a manipulating. I was just, I was a bad person mm-hmm. and it wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. The only thing that mattered to me was the drugs and the alcohol. Mm-hmm. No one else mattered mm-hmm. unless I was sober and alone. And then nobody would give me attention. I made everybody else life miserable because mm-hmm. why weren't they paying attention to me? Sure. Right. Why would they? There's right. no reason to. Right. So I told everybody at Christmas I was going to rehab. I had a bed. I got a call on the 26th that they had given my bed to somebody else. So now I'm telling everybody I'm going to rehab. I'm telling everybody I'm not lying anymore. I'm not doing this, doing that. I'm going to get right. I'm going to go to rehab. And now I have no bed. So now I got to tell everybody that, and they're going to say, yeah, right, whatever. Sure. Sure, sure, sure you had a bed. Sure you were going mm-hmm. to rehab. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So the money that I had, I got two eight balls, got three bottles of booze, went into Elgin, started drinking in Rockford, uh, went to dinner, drank at dinner, went to the boat, ended up getting kicked off the boat. And when I got kicked off the boat, 10 minutes after I got kicked off the boat, I was arrested for a DUI in King County. Got arrested. My bond was $40,000. My family was done with me at this point. 
because I go from going to rehab to being arrested for a DUI. Mm-hmm. And that's when I woke up the second day in jail. Nobody would talk to me. Family was done. Dawn was the only one that answered my call. And she was screening them, actually, and because she was going to leave me there, too. Mm-hmm. The ex was... She didn't want to talk to me because she didn't want to deal with it. Again, me doing promising her things that weren't coming true. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to. I had every intention on doing something. It just never happened. Sure. It wasn't because it was will intent or malice or anything like that. It's just well, you didn't it had a hold of me. It. You didn't know how to do it. I had no clue how to do it. Right. Yeah. I was I was laying in my cell. And it was the third day of detox, and they asked me what I wanted to do, and I said I wanted help. And they said, well, do you want to detox? I said, yes, I want to start detoxing because I want to go straight from here to rehab. And the mental health lady there, spectacular lady, she said, I'll help you get help if you want to, but you've got to want it. I said, okay. My third day laying in my cell, and I've done the whole, God, please get me out of this. Mm. I won't do it again. This Mm. is... I actually did it, and I actually put my arms out, and I looked up and I told him, I'm done, but give me something. Show me something that you're here and that I know it's real. From the middle of my back to my shoulders, something picked me up off of the six-foot slab that I was on set me back down about two inches but it picked me up and it set me back down and like now i started crying and it was you know when you get when you get your teeth done and that novocaine hits in Mm -hmm. it went from the top of my head all the way to my toes and i've been sober ever since okay and when i got out when i got out of jail i knew that Something was working. The public defender got me ROR instead of $40,000 bond. I went straight to rehab. Where'd you go? For Gateway. Rehab? Oh, yeah. Okay. Phenomenal place. Yeah. I would recommend anybody to go. Mm-hmm. Spent 31 days in. I got out. I see my daughter for a weekend, and I had a job on Monday, making $9 an hour. Homeless, living in a motel, living my, it was living wherever I could. Mm-hmm. Um, started Started the relationship back up with my ex. Uh, my ex-wife couldn't help me anywhere else. However, she could be my friend and, and get me through this. And she didn't keep my daughter away from me. She didn't do anything else. After rehab, my mom and my brother and my sister, my family started coming back in. They were at arm's length yet. Mm-hmm. Sure. Still trying to keep me at arm's length. And some of the stuff that they did right out of rehab... It was like they were setting me up to fail. And re- getting out of rehab, if you're not, if you don't have a plan, and this is something that you need to do, mm-hmm. if you don't have a plan coming out of rehab, you need to have one. Because yeah. you're set up to fail. Yeah. Yeah. I come out with $7.34 in my pocket and nowhere to go, no job. It's easy just to go back mm-hmm. to what you were doing. Right. However, I had no chance at life, period, or with the ex, or with my daughter, or with my family whatsoever, if I touched a bottle, Mm -hmm. if I got high. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. The first year out of rehab, 
I did everything right. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do everything right. And God had blessed me. And there's no question in my mind he touched me then. Mm-hmm. And I was going to AA, going to therapy, walking back and forth to work. And I got an apartment through a guy at AA. You know, finally found an apartment. It's no bigger than this room. Mm-hmm. I'm still mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It's clean. Yeah. I've repainted it 13 times. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what were you doing? What job? You got that first $9-an-hour job. Working at Concentric. I was working uh, as uh, putting John Deere... Um, uh, fuel pumps together. Okay. And cat fuel pumps, mm-hmm. and putting in sixty hours a week. Okay. Doing side jobs on the side mm-hmm. to make ends meet. So sure. I was doing anything I could. Sure. Okay. When we were talking earlier, you you talked about uh, twenty months of being sober, and that would be that would obviously that would count originally starting in detox in jail, and December twenty seventh, two thousand seventeen, and and then then Lakeville, right when yep. you went to Gateway. And then, um, but then you said that six months ago is when you got clean. Yeah. And uh, what what's, what what shifted? What's the difference between that? The difference between being sober and being clean. Mm-hmm. Sober, I didn't drink or get high. Mm-hmm. However, I was still making the mistakes that I did when I was drunk, mm-hmm. when I was being when I was an alcoholic and I was an addict. I was still telling white lies. I was still trying to be somebody that I wasn't to people because mm-hmm. I just wanted to be as an addict and as an alcoholic, you want that instant gratification mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have it. You can just be you for a week or two or three weeks and not have somebody tell me you're doing great or you're mm-hmm. awesome or, you know, thank you for doing this. I was reaching, reaching and reaching for that and wanting from that from everybody, whether mm-hmm. it was family members or whether it was my ex-girlfriend and I was breaking promises constantly. So mm-hmm. I wasn't, sober mm-hmm. you got to retrain your brain yeah. and that's when you have to have a plan coming out of rehab you have to retrain yourself not to do the the things that you were doing before mm-hmm. as hard as being an addict and being an alcoholic is it's just as hard being with that being in a relationship with that mm-hmm. person because mm-hmm. not only are you dealing with their problems and them trying to get clean and doing the right thing the promises they break to you mm-hmm. the dealing with your own stuff on the other side of it you know your own drama your your family telling you to get away from the alcoholic and the addict you don't see that you're focused on yourself and you're focused on the instant gratification that it wasn't until i lost her and -hmm. lost everything that i had to change i had to being sober is not being clean you're not living the life you're supposed to Mm -hmm. And if there's, if God does have a plan for me, which I think he does, I had to get clean. I mm-hmm. had to stop lying, trust in the truth. Mm-hmm. And of what I had with my family, with my daughter, with my ex-girlfriend, if it's real, it will come back. Right. Yeah. Trust in the truth. Yeah. And I have a, Bob and I, which you apologize for, we had a shirt for you, but licensing and... um uh, other things to try to make it the mm-hmm. way we had it designed sure. is causing a bit of a problem. <laughs> okay. But it's Road to Recovery. Um, it's an RR on the back. It's uh, Trust in the Truth okay. here. We were making one for you today. Okay. Uh, proceeds are going to go to uh, Miss Carly's, and we're going to set up something that when you get out of rehab mm-hmm. and you're going to AA and you don't have anything, 
we're trying to set something up to where we can give them money to maybe get a hotel for a night. Sure. Maybe just a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. It goes a long way when you're going through that. Yeah. And we're trying to set that up now okay. through the t-shirt sales. Gotcha. We wanted to give you one. Okay. However, we ran into a snag last night yeah. that licensing, we can't do it right now. Sure, sure. I understand. So, well, thank you for the gesture. Though. Yes. <laughs> thank um, you. And now I'm just, if I'd have done this six months ago, yeah. I think my life would have been completely yeah. down a different path. Yeah. Now I just got to trust in the truth yeah. and trust in myself and trust that God has a plan. Yeah. And I can't make up for what I did. Yeah. I can't. You can't make somebody trust you. Yeah. My family slowly has come around. Um, my ex-wife is is getting better about being able to do the same thing. The ex, on the other hand, you can't make somebody trust you. You can't make somebody yeah. love you. You have to do things for them to trust. Yeah. You have to do things and not want the instant gratification yeah. and, let it, and let it just go at its own pace. So... Yeah. As hard as it is, and that's why I told you before why I'm here, I yeah. want people to not go through what I've went through, yeah. the shame and the guilt, and learn from what I've done. Well, you know, that I think you just made a great point, is that uh, regardless if it's your family or McKenna or, or Don. McKenzie. McKenzie, I'm sorry, McKenzie. Um, regardless of who it may be, Yes, they have to work on being able to go to that space of being vulnerable to to trust. Your responsibility is how to work on being trustworthy. Correct. You know, and and that's and you you said something earlier. I mean, in seventh grade is when you started using a substance for immediate change of feelings, right? right? And so there was a there's a lot a lot of years that there wasn't development. And, and how to delay immediate gratification, how to, to play the long story versus or the long game instead of uh, instead of how do I make this happen right now? Right. And I think I think you're, you you said something earlier that there's this temptation, right? We start doing good. And we start making good choices, and we start doing good choices one day at a time. And next thing you know, we start counting how many one days at a time we have. Right. And then we want, like, some perverbable reward for doing that. Right? And, and I keep thinking balloons and unicorns are going to come out every time I do something good. <laughs> right. But it's just about being human. It's about yeah. being It's about being an adult and yeah. being a man, which I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And how people have gone through their whole lives sober, dealing with the pain and heartbreak and just loss of life and everything else how you guys do it or how you did it i have no idea yeah. it's it's a learning curve for yeah. me well and it and and partly you know it's you know this idea that popped in my head when you were just talking is that i don't see many times when a police officer pulls someone over and gives them 120 dollars for going the speed limit right right it just doesn't you know that doesn't happen right and so you don't get immediate gratification for doing the next right thing that's the long game. Right. I'm doing the right thing because it's the right thing for me to do so that I don't have to deal with covering up a lie, you know, the shame of here I go again. It's it's those little things about staying in that space of integrity. Right. right. And 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 I had I had a good friend of mine tell me the same thing. And it was actually my ex's best friend. And she had told me, Don't say anything until it comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. Which I wish you would have told me six months ago. However, it's for me, 
it's so hard to to get to that point because again you're trying not to lose something mm-hmm. trying to hold on to it at the same time yeah. and you're trying to get better and you're trying yeah. to do the right thing I want people to understand that as an addict and as an alcoholic, you have to remember the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And as much as you're jealous of the friendships that they have, or they're talking about you and you're not a part of it, or, you know, her, they were really close and they're like sisters and best friends. And I expect that for me too. Mm-hmm. And I can't, right. I can't expect the same friendship from her. Yeah. And I was jealous of it for a long time and mad about it. Now that I'm seeing things the way they should be, and it's losing things are hard. Losing people in your life, losing your best friend, I think is the you know because her and I were we're best friends. Losing that part of it and being alone and not having somebody to talk to. There's only so much I can tell my ex-wife. Sure. That part of it, and I think Helen Keller said it best when she said, "I'd rather walk through darkness with someone." Then walk in the light alone. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in the light. Now it's like you can come back now. <laughs> yeah. It's just not happening. Yeah. Well, and in there, and I know this is not easy, but if you keep doing the next right thing, if you continue to work on your recovery, work on, you know, being clean and exploring all the things that are new now, right? Right. Because of like discovering learning. The fact that you have a career now, not a job, right. you know, exploring that piece as you doing the stuff that you're doing with um, with Bob and with Miss um, Carly, Miss Carly. You know, I mean, all those things can um, start so that you don't put all your eggs in another person's basket. Right. Right. And um, and if you trust that process. Right. You said something that happened in that jail cell, right? You had a spiritual experience that um, not everyone, it's not everyone has as dramatic as that, right? Right. And um, in some, for some of us, we needed that dramatic or we just don't get it, right? We, we, we just, you know, we need, you know, a bigger brick dropped in our head to get it, you know? <laughs> for whatever reason, everything has to be beat into my head. Yeah, so, but, um, but right now, as I listen to you talk about your story is that, um, you know, things that happened and didn't happen, right? Things that happened when you're younger, but also the things that were not there, right? right. The, the lessons that were not taught are all the lessons that you're learning right now. And that time for that partner will come. Right. This time you want to be able to bring their, bring your strength to them. Right. Um, and, and not need them to bring their strength to you, but you bring your strength to them. And, and that's, and that you couldn't have said that better because that's the piece that I'm having the most trouble with the best version of me is not good enough right now. And that's what I'm struggling with because, again, rainbows and unicorns should be flowing everywhere and and it should be instant gratification coming back. It's not. And I can't wrap my head around, if I'm the best version of myself and I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, moving forward, and I I can, like you said, you don't have to bring your A game anymore. I've got it. And it's not there. It's not. I'm not able to grab it. I'm not able to, you know, grab her hand and walk away. Yeah. I'm having a real hard time with that. Sure. And it's to the point where you fill the void, and it's got me in trouble a lot mm-hmm. about filling the void. I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to fix the void 
so I don't need to fill it anymore mm -hmm. and that I can bring my A game to her or to my family, especially my daughter. Yeah. My daughter has been through a ton, which a lot of people will frown on it. I told her everything, the absolute truth, because she's now been through AA. She knows what it's like to be at the bottom and for dad to fight and keep fighting for her and to be at the spot that I'm at now. She's got the best of both worlds. She knows that if she gives up or if she doesn't give 100%, <clears throat> I am going to be in her. Yeah. Yeah. And as hard as it is on her, and she didn't... Children know a lot more than we think, mm -hmm. and they're stronger than what we think. She's a very well-rounded little girl. She's becoming a tremendous young lady, and I couldn't be more proud of her. Yeah. And I'm sorry for what happened, and it kills me that I put her through it. Yeah. She had a great mom to get her through, and now she's got a dad finally. So, yeah. You said something earlier about the idea and like uh, just like with your daughter she can give a hundred percent right and, and the, using the metaphor of sports right someone can give a hundred percent but they still may not be ready to start yep and they could be doing this working as hard as they possibly can and giving a hundred percent doing everything you want them to do but they may not be ready to start and that's not a character judgment call right they just may not be ready yet that doesn't mean they're not going to be ready. It just means right now they're not ready. Because you take somebody who's given 100% and they're 15 years old, they got all the tools, but you put them out on varsity in football, they're going to get hurt Yeah, because they're not ready yet. Uh, yeah. And when I learn that and when I get a, <laughs> when I get a, when I get a grasp of that, I'll teach my daughter. Yeah. I'm still learning that. Yeah. Cause, and it's okay to be learning it. Yeah, but... That doesn't mean it doesn't suck. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what, what word can I say that you're in this... And it's... I'm on the cusp. I'm getting my license back in a couple of months. Sure. And I haven't drove in two years. Well, mm -hmm. 20 months. Beforehand, everything was so far down the road yep. that I couldn't see it. Yep. Now, everything is within arm's reach. And I still can't have any of it. And what more can I do or what, how can I speed this up? But, but that's the problem. It's, it's yeah. not about speeding it up. I know. It's about how to help me slow it down. And that's, yeah. and that's the point I was going to make was you have to trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. As much as the process sucks, you have to trust it. Yeah. And again, going back to trusting in the truth of everything that I believed in and everything that I felt and everything that I know to be real, no matter what part of life it is for me, it will come back. Yeah. I might not like it, how it's coming back, but it'll get there. You know, as we get ready to wrap up, Scott, I, I appreciate not only you coming on and sharing your story about how you got here, but I also appreciate you sharing where you're struggling right now, right? And in and, and that, the, being open and being vulnerable about where you're struggling is okay. It doesn't mean the struggle is going to go away. Right. Right. And because this is just that, this is just the time and space of going through that. And, and that is okay because at some point here in the future, I don't know when it's going to be, you'll then look back and go, you remember when I was so impatient? Remember when I right. <laughs> was going crazy? Well, this is what I did to not go as crazy. 
Right. And I still didn't have to go back to use them. This is what I was doing so that I didn't pick up the phone and ask the same question that I already knew what the answer was, right. you know, or whatever. Right? And in that, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about that because the reality is, is that recovery is tough and, and because it's real life. Yeah. It's just like, like we're doing this show here in a couple of weeks um, on uh, how to utilize um, the arts and utilize sports to develop resiliency mm-hmm. and transformation. And the metaphor that we talked about, you may be given 100%, but you may not be ready to start yet. Right. You're still part of the team. You're still making progress. You'll have your time. Yeah, it's just been a long road. Yeah, well, and, yeah there's no doubt. You know, and it, I say it's been a long road, but I've, like I said, being clean and being sober, completely two different things. Yeah. And to realize that now I'm six months, and, you know, it just, it, you've got to realize that it's just not about you. Yeah. And the key thing that I wanted everybody to understand especially from an addict and an alcoholic's point of view, you've got to take time to, to realize the other side of it. You've got to, you've got to realize what your family goes through. You've got to realize what your, whether it's your son or your daughter or your ex-girlfriend or whatever, you've got to put yourself in their shoes because until you do, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. You have to trust in yourself and AA helps therapy helps at the end of the day you got to get yourself up in the morning. You have to look at yourself in the mirror. You have to like who you are or they're not. Yeah. And if you're breaking promises and you're doing things that, and you're lying, still lying to people and you're trying to be somebody, and granted, it might be a week down the road that's going to happen, but if you tell them this week and it doesn't happen, you're the same guy. Yeah. You've got to, you have to just learn how to shut your mouth, trust yourself, and you have to want it. Until you do, yeah, you're 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 just going to be spinning your wheels. Well said, my friend <laughs> Scott. Again, thank you for uh, thank you for sharing your story, and um, and thank you for again sharing those intimate, um, vulnerable moments as well. So, thank you for being on. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, listen to Scott's story. You know, as, as Scott mentioned um, about there's usually some underlying story of why the alcohol or drugs serve that purpose. And there also is sometimes where the lie lies, lie, the, the drug or the alcohol lies to us. And so if you do need that help, um, continue to reach out, follow through with that help. Um, you can um, you can change your life. Thank you very much for um, being with us today, and I look forward to seeing you next week.